It's like a stunned, a deafening stunned silence on Twitter as everyone's watching that, <laughs> thinking, "What? What the hell is going on there?" So, so first of all, since since you've just been talking, um, how can we detect this and prevent it? Is this the kind of thing that we we would be able to understand is happening and avoid or detect? Well, that's a really good question, and there's no obvious answer to it. Because, uh, I mean, I've been using Facebook in this demo, but this is nothing that Facebook is doing wrong, really. It's just uh, inherent to the techniques that uh, are present on the web and the new web APIs that are there. Yeah. Uh, so it's not quite clear how this could be fixed. Facebook could, for example, uh, in this particular case, they could choose to add some padding to their response bodies so that all the response bodies are about the same size. But that would be technically really difficult to implement. Like, how do you determine what the correct response size would be? Mm. And it would also be terrible for performance, of course, if you just make every document larger. Um, browsers could also be implementing some kind of padding uh, when it comes to the timing, for example. Like, if you put something in the cache, it resolves a promise, and the browser could maybe wait a couple of uh, microseconds, or I don't know, at random, before it resolves that promise. But that might actually also lead to performance uh, degradation in other cases. So it, it's a really tough problem, and there's no obvious solution to this. Yeah. If anyone has any ideas, let us know. I think I did see a couple of suggestions about kind of adding some like, random timing into into some of these functions for when you're looking at the timing attack. But again, I guess you're you're adding performance issues, right? That's the that's the way that you're, yeah. you're getting... Yeah, not only that, because depending on how it's implemented exactly, you could also still figure it out. Like, if it's truly random, you could just do the same measurement and figure out what the proper value is anyway. So, right. yeah, it's, it's a tough problem. It's witchcraft. Yeah. So Tor... Tor sorry, can you hear? Yeah. Okay, cool. So Tor, Tor Browser actually made Sniffly much harder because they were rounding... They Their JavaScript timer rounds to the nearest 100 millisecond. So that's, that's your timing resolution in Tor Browser. Um, I think there's various tricks you can do to get around that. But. That's cool. Yeah. So are there any other kind of like practical applications of this that, that you haven't shown us that we should be terrified of? Because now, <laughs> now I'm just turning the internet off. Well, basically any Not for everyone, I should make <laughs> it. <laughs> Every time you have like two URLs and the knowledge that one URL, the response is larger than the other response. And th if that information tells you something at all, then you can kind of abuse this trick. Like, yeah. for example, you could abuse it against Twitter because uh, there are protected accounts there. And if you visit the profile for a protected user, you won't see any tweets. You will just get the error message saying, hey, you're not following this user. But if you do follow them, you will see all the tweets. So there's a big difference in the response size there. Um, so just by using this timing attack, you could easily figure out if your current user on your website follows a particular user. And you can start applying that to a list of Twitter users, and then it, you, you get into fingerprinting your users and stuff yeah. like that. So it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's scary. Okay, well. So um, just kind of as we're getting into the issue of kind of HTTPS as well and, uh, and, and how uh, users can potentially feel safe again one day, I hope, on the web. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the thinking uh, should we should all be using HTTPS on our sites now, right? Just just regardless, that should just be what we're all defaulting to. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and so what is the easiest? I mean, I know you've talked a little bit about that already, but what is the cheapest, easiest, quickest thing that we can do today to to get HTTPS onto our sites? Ooh, that's a really good question. I actually think it's um, getting the large host, like you know, the layer cake, getting the bottom layer, um, because that just requires you know. Um, Dreamhost or WordPress or whoever just putting a switch in that says use HTTPS. And actually, mm -hmm. Let's Encrypt 
Um, someone pointed out Let's Encrypt has actually partnered with DreamHost to do this already. Oh, it has? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, so it should be easier now for us just to, just to get on and do this. There's no excuse now. Well, yeah, because certificates don't cost money anymore. So. Right. So we should just crack on. So, how, so I mean, I'd, until recently, I'd just been using things like Cloudflare, just saying, okay, mm -hmm. well, I'll, I'll use Cloudflare and just turn HTTPS on. Is, yeah. that, is that still sensible or is, should we be doing things differently? Yeah, um, so I think Cloudflare has like different tiers of SSL. Mm -hmm. Like you can use your own certificate with Let's Encrypt on Cloudflare, or you can use um, they have an option where like they manage your SSL certificate. Right. Yeah. And and do you do you guys all think that users understand the importance of of HTTPS? And you know, I, I know that. Uh, in Chrome in particular now, the, the green padlock is getting more and more visible and uh -huh. I suspect that other browsers will start kind of championing this a, a lot more as well. And, and, and I, think, I think at the Chrome Dev Summit in November there was talk of, uh, rather than championing things that were over HTTPS, actually calling things out that were over HTTP and actually saying, well, this is not secured over HTTPS as the default. Do you think, do you think that's a sensible thing to do? Or do you think that users understand the importance of this yet? Or does it, does it matter? Um, I think most users just see a lock icon. Like that's the most you can really hope for is that they see that one lock there. There's like, I don't think most people know what SSL is under right. the hood or like what RSA handshakes are, et cetera. Um, so I, I do think that in a world where more and more things are moving to HTTPS, it makes sense to show a bad signal, like a red bar mm -hmm. with a crossover mm -hmm. it for sites that are still HTTP. Right. Yeah, you guys kind of agree with that. You think that that's, that's realistic, that that's going to start happening? I mean, is it, are Opera going to do that, for instance? Uh, yeah, we're actually working on some UI changes nice. related to the address bar. Yeah. And as much as I love the concept of URLs myself, um, you know, it's really easy to start faking things like locks in front of your address bar because people just see a lock anywhere on your web page yeah. and they think, oh, it's secure, it's fine, even though they're not over HTTPS at all. So, like Jan said, uh, if you convey a negative message, I think that's much more effective than trying to do something positive. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think uh, most users might care about that if they're on their bank site and they're kind of starting to be familiar. But everywhere else, that's not really it's not something that they they think about, right? Um, so, I kind of want to come to images a little bit, and and again, that's another. I'm out of my depth in this session because there are so many things that blew my mind in the, in the last three talks. Um, and a lot of people have been asking about the kind of image formats that these, these techniques can be used, used on. I mean, we're obviously looking mostly at JPEG and, and progressive JPEG there. Do some of these, these uh, other opportunities for other image formats as well along the same line, or is it just a completely different so this, what I showed today only works for JPEGs right now mm -hmm. because um, PNG has interlacing. <coughs> so interlacing is kind of like progressive encoding, but you can't influence the creation process of the interlaced uh, layers. In PNG, it is always Atom 7. Um, so yeah, you can't use it. Okay. Um, uh, PNG will, P interlaced PNG will benefit of, from HTTP 2, but you can't influence the creation of it. So you just have to trust that it does a good job, which it does. Okay. And, and uh, when we were talking about JPEGs, are there particular kind of images that are going to, this will work better for than others? The kind, of, the kind of assets that are in there? And I'm thinking particularly about the automation of this. Mm. Uh, and can you just say, okay, well, here's a bucket of JPEGs, because uh, that's the unit of, that's the collective noun for a load of JPEGs, right? Um, there's a bucket of JPEGs and I'm just going to blast through all of this. 
do the same kind of optimization? Does you get the same kind of yield on the optimizations across that? Or that's a really really good question, and the answer is no. Um, okay. What I show today is a proof of concept that works well enough for these images that I used, and the like I said, medium of medians is six percent. Mm -hmm. Um, there are, of course, easily created edge cases that will yield nothing or even negative um, uh -huh. ne negative results. However, um, I'm working on a tool that will automate the um, scan, scans TXT generation. So my five scan layer demo today is just to show that it works as a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. However, to, to get the optimal result for every input JPEG, we would need to make an, uh, like an heuristical approach, make assumptions about the JPEG, then um, check the results, see if, it, if it's good enough, and then in, like in a binary search, just narrow down until we finally hit the sweet spot for the perfect scan layer mm -hmm. um, combination that will get the smallest file size and the best scan results. And is this the kind of thing that um, uh, people should be doing on their own sites and their own, it, like their, the, the DevOps team should be involved in that? Or is this the kind of thing that could be kind of... Uh, sourced out to Akamai, for instance, to be doing that? Is that the kind of thing that Akamai would, would be involved in, or is it a, a, a step removed from that? Um, no, definitely Akamai is a place to do this, but you can also do it yourself. It's in every open source uh, JPEG encoder, so you don't have to go and buy this as a, as a ready-made solution. You can also implement it yourself. Like we just said, it's a, right now it's just a proof of concept, so there is no, no code to do this properly yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm working on it. So as always, I'm proof of concepting most of what I'm talking about. So I will put up something on GitHub soon. <laughs> nice, excellent. I think people will be ready for that. Uh, Estelle kind of uh, jumped, uh, uh, touched on uh, sourcing image assets at different sizes and kind of generating them at different sizes as well uh, automatically on the server. Um, I'm really conscious of uh, use cases where there are things like CMSs in place, and there are, you don't really know what kind of content is going to be uploaded. And often we we kind of collect the content in the in its largest possible uh, size of resource, mm -hmm. so you've got the best possible source there, and then churn through the you know the different uh, outputs of that. Um, the kind of tools that you've been talking about does that play nicely with with generating lots of different sizes of assets as well? Yes, they do. There are no issues there. No, no. So I've been I've been actually working with clients who generate oh, more than 180 different sizes out of a master image. 180. Yeah, 180 in their CMS, and it still works very nice with the optimizations that I propose. Nice. Okay. And so since we've um, you know we also been touching today on HTTP2, um, do we need to uh, unlearn a lot of the optimizations that we've done in the past for for the way that we deliver our, our sites? You know, we, for a long time we've had this focus on reducing the number of requests and all of those kind of things. Do, does that matter anymore that we've done that? Or should we be reverting to, to how we may have done things before and, and uh, like having lots of HTTP requests? Yeah, when it comes to things like CSS spriting, uh, well, you don't, you don't really need to do that anymore over HTTP2. Uh, but in a certain way, we were already moving towards that because more and more people are using SVG because we want resolution-independent assets, and it's just so much easier to have separate SVG files for each icon that you're using. Um, but yeah, the same thing goes for concatenating your JavaScript right. into a single file. It, that's not necessarily the best option anymore, but the main thing is you have to measure all these things and try it out for your specific use case because yeah. there's no generic advice that works anymore. Right, and I, and I guess because it's difficult to know whether or not you're going to be serving over HTTP uh, 2 or, yeah. or, or not, right? So the, your build output that you have for your site, might you might want it to be different depending on what the yeah. case is. So mm. are there any 
what's the, what's the What's the answer for that one? There's going to be a depends answer coming along, I'm certain, but is there any advice for how to deal with that? I mean, can you conditionally serve things and, and, and be smart about that? Um, yeah, I guess in theory you can. I've never actually done that on the server side, but like I imagine as HTTP2 becomes more popular, like people will make tools mm. to have your server like have a different code path. For and do you think the, the benefits are are worthwhile in having in being able to service both or should you say okay yeah http2 has arrived so we should just run at that and uh, and not worry about how things are optimized for things that are falling back no over definitely um like i said in my talk about the initial congestion window when i ran my tests i found out that http2 was actually performing worse without having an optimized initial congestion window and i was wondering about that and I was thinking, what is wrong there? And I talked to other people in my company who were applying HTTP2 for customers, and they figured, they also told me about problems of uh, adopting HTTP2 because specific sites were actually uh, having a problem with um, the first couple of hundred milliseconds of delivery. And then we talked about this, and we figured out, yeah, it's the initial congestion window, so you need to tune for that. And then we discussed how we can figure that out on the Akamai platform, and we can, so it's mm -hmm. kind of nice. So I think the answer is, yeah, we totally need to ship different uh, aspects, different assets for HTTP 1, HTTP 2 to, to get the best experience for both worlds. Right. Yeah. So our, our, our builds are going to get just a little bit more complex for the moment, right? Potentially. Yeah. Well, the, the adoption rate for HTTP 2 is really good and modern browser port is 2, so I think this is going to be mm. a quick battle. You yeah. think so? <laughs> Although I, I would note that there's many parts of the world where people don't update their browsers as much. Like people have like these old phones, yeah. mm. um, like Facebook and Yahoo and probably other companies have these labs where like developers can go and use the phones that people use in like third world countries and emerging markets mm -hmm. and see like how bad the user experience is. So, so if you had to pick one and optimize for that right now, it would still be HTTP 1.1? That's kind of disappointing. Yeah, that's yeah. I was kind of hoping that we'd yeah. be ready to be at that tipping point and we'd say, okay, well, it's an enhancement that we can, there should be nothing stopping us to do that, yeah. Okay, all right, well, so um, I, think we're, I think we're ready for the break. So, uh, so let's, let's just say thanks again to Tobias, to, to Mateus and to Jan. Thank you. Thank you guys.